KB. KB. <laughs> Hi, guys. How's Arkansas? It's good. I'm so jealous you went to our Segas. <laughs> I know. Listen, I so I went to Prairie Grove, right? And I was like, I'm two towns over. You gotta go. I have to go. <laughs> so yeah. Well, that's really fun. Where did John go? Where did she go? Arcegas. What's in Arcegas? Arcegas is the best, the only yeah. place to go get brunch and coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is the most legit place. Oh, they have a <laughs> lavender mocha. I just had a lavender latte in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and it's called like Craft House Coffee or something. Like that. Oh, it's, sure. It's, it's on Magnolia. Yeah, yeah. And I was. I was with Kirsten. She's like, I'm getting a lavender, lavender latte. I was like, I'll get another one. They're so good. They were so good. It was delicious. And mm-hmm. I was very hesitant because lavender can be very overpowering. But yeah. It was so. It's so good. Oh, it was damn Mudsmith uh, on Greenville. Is it on Greenville? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They also make a really good lavender mocha. So good. But they also have this thing called, is it a dragonfly? Hummingbird. It's a hummingbird. Yeah. And it's like a lemonade drink, but they have elderflower in it and something else. What else is in it? Um, I don't, I, j- I thought about getting that today, so I should know, but. Like elderflower, maybe hib- hib- hibiscus? That doesn't sound right. Some other like flowery. All, all good things. That <laughs> sounds delicious. <laughs> I told her to bring it back one and she said she wouldn't. Well, I don't know. What I said was it would melt by the time I got back to Texas. Well, welcome to Legendary Lasses. Mm-hmm. I'm Ashley. I'm KB. And I'm Sally. KB, you're very quiet. Yeah. It might be my little microphone. Is that any better? Sure. Okay. I was going to say you sound very, like, tired or something. Oh. Well, I might be. It's been a day. Very tired. What was that? It's been a day, like an exciting day, but it's been a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sounds like it's been a lot, dude. Yeah, we went to an engagement party that turned out to be a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to do it, I think. Anyway, um, today I want to tell everyone a story about Olive Oatman, who is sometimes referred to as the girl with the blue tattoo. Oh, she's the one that has, like, the, the tattoo on the chin. Right? Yes, that's yeah. her. Yeah. Now, disclaimer before we get started. <laughs> this story involves a lot of talk about indigenous peoples of America um, that are sometimes not identified as tribe and use words that we don't really use for them anymore. Sorry, I just opened my phone and read over your headline. <laughs> That being said, I've done my best to identify the different tribes based on research um, that I found, and I've tried to negotiate those tricky terms as best as possible. So if I mess up, please don't be mad. I'm not trying to be offensive. (laughs) It's just, it's a lot. It is. It's a lot. Yeah. It's hard to navigate, especially if you're using sources that are kind of older and use terms that. Yeah, I mean, we're talking 1830s to 1850s here. Yes. So some of the terms you'll read are not politically correct, I guess is the best way to put that. Modernly correct. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So that being said, here's a story of all of Oatman. And I'm so excited. <laughs> On September 7th, 1837 in Illinois, Olive Oatman was born into a Mormon family to parents Royce and Mary Ann Oatman. She was one of six siblings at this time. I was unable to find much about the childhood um, or their childhood, but I do know she had a sister that was named after her mother. So there's another Mary Ann. And one of her older brothers was named Lorenzo. The story that we're going to focus on. Lorenzo? Like, that's like. (laughs) It's very Italian. Yeah. For a Mormon family in Illinois. Lorenzo? In the 1830s, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Their last name. Lorenzo, Lorenzo was a very great person. <laughs> but that name came out of nowhere. <laughs> what were you saying, KB? 
I said put it with their last name too, Lorenzo Oatman. That doesn't yeah. sound right. It's very Italian American. <laughs> well, and their dad's name is Royce. R O Y C E. Yeah, it's a very like Midwest, like I'm Royce. What was the mom's name? Marianne. Marianne. I'm yeah. Marianne. <laughs> like, but yeah. So anyway, Lorenzo. <laughs> the story that we're going to focus on actually picks up 13 years later. So in 1850, the Oatman family joins a wagon train of Mormons heading west, led by James C. Brewster. Like now, Punky Brewster? Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but a little bit of background on that before we get into Olive's story. Now, James C. Brewster and his followers were actually leaving the Mormon church after Brewster's attacks and disagreements with Brigham Young caused division amongst the ranks of the church. Which is, which I, which is fair enough. Fair enough. And I, you know, I commend them on that. Yeah. So, do y'all want to know something? Yes. I was actually listening to a podcast about Mormonism literally today was as I was driving. the last podcast on the left? It was. So I feel very prepared for this. Good, episode. good. I was just going to recommend <laughs> if y'all don't, I'm not going to give too much background on this. Because that, that's a, the whole it's panel, a, it's a case of worms. It's a something. They but did for like five gonna, parts. Uh, yeah. Um, we're going to follow their journey west. But if you guys are interested in learning more about kind of the background of Mormonism and especially this time period when Brigham Young is in charge. Definitely go check out the last podcast, boys. Um, they did a six-part series, did you say? Uh, something like that. Something like that. It's very, very good. Yes. Very, 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 very good. Anyway, this group of Mormons left from Independence, Missouri on August 5th, 1850. And the number of Brewsterites... <laughs> That's not the best. Like, how did they... It was just, like, Brewsterites or, like... What was the other name that they could choose between? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good question. Like, it doesn't sound great, if, if but what's Bruce the other Rice name? Bruce was the better one. <laughs> but what other name could there have been? I don't know. The the Punky Brewsters. That's a good one. <laughs> Not for the 1850s. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the number of Brewsterites numbered anywhere from 85 to 95 as they headed west in hopes of reaching California. Mm-hmm. Dissension amongst this group slowly rose to a peak, though, and upon reaching Santa Fe in the New Mexico Territory, there was yet another schism. Brewster and a number of others decided to follow the northern route through Santa Fe. You guys bear with me, because there are some names that are, like, somewhere in between Native American names and, like, Spanish names. Okay. Well, yeah. Which, like, makes sense for the area we're talking about. Yeah, the area in the time. In the time, yeah. The second group chose to take the southern route through Socorro and Tucson. Royce Oatman, Olive's dad, took command of this southern party. Okay. In early 1851, though, these religious immigrants found that the New Mexico Territory was unsuitable for their purposes, mainly due to the climate and soil conditions. Mm Mm-hmm. Most of the other wagons of the Southern Party eventually abandoned the new goal of reaching the mouth of the Colorado River. With just a few families still with them, the Oatmans finally reached Maricopa Wells in what we know as Arizona today. Once there, they were told that the road that lies beyond was barren, but was also incredibly dangerous. Any guesses why? Sand people. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching lots oh, like of- Star Wars? Yeah! <laughs> 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 no, not the not the sand people from Star Wars. Well, it's like it was a That was a really good impression though. <laughs> it's somewhere in between those actual people and Chewbacca. <laughs> Any other guesses? Uh Pee-wee Herman. Pee-wee Herman? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you don't want to go anywhere in your Okay. KB, you got any guesses? I'm going to guess um, they were told that there are Native Americans. 
Ding, ding, there. ding, ding. We got a winner. That was my second. Not with a, an as nice and correct term. That would be correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, the families heading west were told that these indigenous peoples were very hostile and they would only be risking their lives and the lives of their young children if they proceeded on their route. For the other families, this information was just too much to justify traveling further west and resolved to stay in Maricopa Wells. The Oatman family was not to be deterred, though. <laughs> so back to the story time of this. <clears throat> the Oatman family is now traveling, al- traveling alone in 1851. Royce and Marianne now have seven children that range from 17 years old to one year old. Oh. How many did they have at the beginning of the journey? Six. What? So they've had a baby en route. This is the most inconvenient time. Why would you have a baby on a road trip? No. I don't know. <laughs> they are traveling alone further west, and on their fourth day traveling from Maricopa Wells, they are approached by a group of Native, Native Americans who ask them for tobacco and food. During this encounter, for an unknown reason, the Oatman family is attacked and almost exterminated. All except for Lorenzo, who at this time is 15, Olive, who is 14, and Marianne, who is 7, everyone besides them are killed. Okay. Now, Lorenzo was brutally clubbed and actually left for dead. Olive and Marianne were actually taken with these Native Americans, and by all accounts, they were taken to be slaves. So, following... Lorenzo for a little bit because this is going to be important. So Lorenzo actually semi-recovers and wakes up to see his parents and most of his siblings slaughtered on the road, but no sign of Olive and Marianne. I'm sure it was a hard decision to leave, but Lorenzo actually makes it back to a settlement they had passed where his injuries are tended to and he is put back in contact with the other religious immigrants they were with. Okay. Three days later, Lorenzo and some of these other families returned to the site of the massacre in order to bury the Oatman family. However, due to the rocky volcanic soil, the men had no way to properly dig a grave. Therefore, the remains were gathered together and they formed a cairn over them. Do you guys know what a cairn is? No. Um, have you ever seen, like, rock piles? Mm-hmm. That's a cairn. Okay. Um, where it's, like, kind of a tomb shape. Okay. That's what a cairn is. Later in life, Lorenzo would actually be asked about this attack and this date innumerable times. But in 1913, Lorenzo is quoted in the Tucson Citizen saying, We buried the bodies of father, mother, and babe in one common grave. Reportedly, these bodies had to be reburied several times until they were finally moved to the river for interment by Charles Poston, who was another early Arizona pioneer, mm-hmm. and would actually be the first delegate for the Arizona Territory <coughs> in the U- U.S. House of Representatives. Huh. I thought that was just a little interesting history fact. Yeah. This attack would become known as the Oatman Massacre, and it took place on the banks of the Gila River, which is about 90 miles uh, southeast of Yuma, Arizona. Mm-hmm. The, they also named a town in Arizona after them. So Oatman, Arizona is actually named for this family. Oh. There's a marker still for the Oatman family grave that features a cairn and a plaque and a sign at the actual site of the massacre for some reason. I don't know. Hmm. This is where we get into that weird tourism of atrocity thing. Yeah. It's literally a big white street sign, like a, like a stop sign, right? Yeah. That just says, site of the Oatman family massacre, 1851. I don't know how I feel about that. It feels weird. There's, there's... Oh, no. Sally's laughing. <laughs> What were you going to say, KB? I was going to say, I guess it's maybe good to know what happened in spaces before you were there, because I guess it's maybe easy to forget, but yeah, it does encourage kind of a weird, dark... Quit looking at so. Yeah, and I guess there's, I guess for me, there's also this, like, attachment of barbaric indigenous peoples. That's kind of attached mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't like that. 
Yeah. So, um, I know it's a little bit early in our episode, but I think this is actually a good time to take a break because after the break, we're going to rejoin Olive for the rest of her story. And it's very involved and I don't want to interrupt the flow of that story. Okay. So, (laughs) if that's all right with you, we're going to go ahead and take a break. I know we're like 20 minutes into this, but it's fine. All right. All right. this second part of the story oh first of all how do you think the episode is going so far it's going great (laughs) okay and i'm sorry we took a break so early i just wanted to get like the historical background stuff done first Mm -hmm. and like put all the story we're gonna get into the meat potatoes yeah yeah and keep it all together so it's not broken up now bear with me as we get into the second part because we're gonna get into some more interesting names that are bear with they are with me. I get, get it. it. I get it. That was very good. Um, Did you, was I a very convincing bear? I was frightened for my life, and I almost hid under my desk. So, yes. I'm that good of an actor, everyone. I know. Hire me. Cast me. <laughs> so, we're going to jump back into Olive's part of the story. Having taken the girls from the scene of the massacre, these Native Americans took the girls about eight miles southwest of Aguila, yeah! <laughs> Into the Harkhala Mountains to their village. Okay. Like I said, bear with me, guys. <laughs> I've got a white person now. Um, although Olive Oatman would later identify these captors as being Tonto Apaches, they were more likely part of the Tolkapayas. So, once in the village, Olive... Tolkien Papayas. Yeah, like Tolkien Pius. <laughs> Tol... Tolkien Pius. Tolkien Papaya. Tolkien Pius. That this is probably really offensive. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry. I'm a ding dong. Pronunciation is hard for me. I have to make shortcuts. <clears throat> uh, once in this village, Olive reported that they were initially treated in a threatening manner, and she believed that they would kill her and her sister Marianne. Mm. However, the girls were actually used to forage for food, haul water and firewood, and used for other menial jobs. She reported that they were frequently beaten during their time with these captors, and I'd like to actually call that into question, though, um, but it's something we'll talk more about later. Yeah. After about a year with these initial um, captors, a group, of Mojave tr- a group from the Mojave tribe visited the village with goods to trade. They brought two horses, vegetables, blankets, and other trinkets to exchange for the two girls. Successfully negotiating this trade, the two girls left with the Mojave people and walked for days to the village along the Colorado River, located today in Needles, California. Upon entering the village, Olive and Marianne were taken in by the family of the leader, and this group was a little bit more well-to-do than their original captors, and both the leader's wife and his daughter took an interest in the Oatman girls and their well-being. Later in life, Olive would express very deep affection for these two women numerous times. Here's where we're going to get into a Mojave person's name that I have no idea how to pronounce. Okay. There's a lot of vowels, and I'm not sure what to do with it. Okay. So, the leader's wife, her name is Aspanio? It's A-E-S-P-A-N-E-I-O. That sounds... Espanio? Yeah. Sure. Um, who reportedly arranged for both Oatman girls to be given plots of land to farm. Huh. Hmm. Um, but this is where we get into some tricky history problems. Okay. I'm going to give you two sides of the same story, and we'll talk about both of them coming up soon when we get to later in her life. Does that sound good? Yeah. Now, whether the Oatman girls were truly adopted into this important Mojave family and the entire community at large is debated widely. Olive would report that her and her sister were captives and slaves and that she feared to leave them. She made no attempt to contact a large group of white settlers, though, that visited the Mojaves during her time with them. 
She also made no contact uh, with white railroad surveyors who spent almost a week in the Mojave Valley trading and socializing with this tribe in February 1854. And years later, she would meet with a Mojave leader in New York where they would speak of, quote-unquote, old times together. So, to argue against that narrative of being a slave and a captive, there's also the tattoo. Yes. Now, both Oatman girls were tattooed on their chins and arms in the traditional blue ink. Mm -hmm. This seems to be keeping with the tradition of the Mojaves to mark who is a tribal member. These marks were only given to their own people to ensure that they would enter the land of the dead and be recognized as Mojaves by their ancestors. Olive would claim, though, that these tattoos mark them as slaves, which is entirely inconsistent with the Mojave tradition. Okay. We'll talk more about that statement later. Olive would also speak fondly of her time with the Mojave people, whether it was because she was raised by them or simply treated better than her original captors is what is debated. Mm-hmm. It's possible she considered herself assimilated into the Mojave tribe. Um, we do know that she was given a clan name, um, which again, I'm going to try here. I think it's Oak and it's O-A-C-H. Mm-hmm. And she was also given a nickname. And I think it's pronounced Spansta. It's S-P-A-N-T-S-A. I don't know what to do with the T-S. Like, let's... Okay. So, Spansta. What was was the spelling again? S-P-A-N-T-S-A. Sponsta. Sponsta? Okay. Which is a Mojave word having to do with an unquenchable lust or thirst. Which we'll talk about again later. Mm. (laughs) Um, the fact is she did to some extent choose to stay with the Mojave people and some of that might be due to the fact that she did not know Lorenzo was alive and believed herself to be the only surviving member of her family the reason she's the only surviving member of her family is part of what we do know about her time there there was a period of drought in this region which led to a lack of resources which, unfortunately, during this time, Mary Ann would die of starvation in about 1855 or 1856, which would make Mary Ann about 10 or 11 at the time. Yeah. Mm. Some sources are sort of vague on this, though, and say something like, quote-unquote, it's claimed there was a drought, or, quote-unquote, it's possible there was a drought, which in turn could potentially change the narrative on the girl's time with the Mojave people. To elaborate on that further, it's, there's a drought, there's a lack of resources, she dies of starvation, or she's slaved, captive, not given food, and dies. Yeah. Right? Like, that changes the narrative entirely about this time with them. So we'll get back to that. Everything changes, though, when Olive is 19 years old. In 1856, a Yuma messenger named Francisco arrived at the village with a message for the Mojave tribe from the authorities at Fort Yuma. There had been rumors flying around that a white girl was living with the Mojaves and the post commander at Fort Yuma was sending them a message requesting her return or to know why she did not choose to leave them. Which I think is a very interesting phrasing for this message. Hmm. Whether due to affection for Olive or fear of fear of wrath from the commander, the Mojave people initially sequestered Olive and resisted the commander's request. During negotiations, though, Many people of the Mojave community denied Oatman was even white and expressed affection for her, which is very sweet. Yeah, it's like the community is just like, no. Like what, white girl? <laughs> yeah, she's just fair. All this? Nah, no, she's my sister, man. <laughs> it's like in Wong Fu when they're just like, I'm a gen. Everyone said, you, you haven't watched it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway. Well- it's, uh, I need to watch this movie. I will watch it. I'm and almost done with school. I've got like two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks, my ass. That's it. Two weeks. Meanwhile, Francisco, this messenger, went back to the homes of other nearby Mojave people and made a second ardent attempt to persuade them to part with Olive. This time, he included trade items of blankets and a white horse. And Francisco also seemed to, quote-unquote, pass on threats that the whites would exterminate the Mojave if Olive was not released. 
Whether anyone at the Fort Yuma had actually expressed such threats is not known, though. Yeah. And Fr- Francisco, to me, seems to be really overstepping his bounds as a messenger. <laughs> you know, like the phrase, don't kill the messenger. I, I, kill that messenger. Yeah, this is where the one time I'd be like, fuck this. <laughs> anyway, in a third attempt at discussion, for all the It's not discussion at this point. <laughs> It, I, it is still discussions and negotiations happening at this point. It's Francisco threatening them. So Francisco's doing his own little thing, but there's also meetings happening between the Mojave and the commander. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in a third attempt at these discussions with the commander for Olive to be handed over to the authorities at Fort Yuma, Olive was actually invited to participate in these discussions. Finally. After much deliberation, the Mojave accepted the terms of the Fort Yuma commander and Olive was escorted to the fort in a 20-day journey. The daughter of the leader that first took Olive in actually went with Olive on this journey and went to Fort Yuma with her. Which is like... Damn! Yeah. I think that says a lot. Yeah. Because that's the daughter's... The leader's daughter. Mm-hmm. Potentially two daughters, really. Both leaving. And I think it's because they didn't want her to be alone. Yeah. Anyway. Before actually entering the fort, Olive was given Westerners clothing lent to her by the wife of an army officer. Because until then, she had remained in her traditional Mojave skirt that included no covering above the waist. Which I can imagine was pretty shocking for these Victorians. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Once inside the fort, though, Olive is greeted by a crowd of cheering people, one of whom was Olive's childhood friend, Susan Thompson, whom she would befriend again. Um, And we'll talk about Susan a little bit later. Within a few days of Oatman's arrival at Fort Yuma, she discovered Lorenzo was still alive and had been looking for his two sisters. They would be reunited and their reunion would make headlines across the West. However, talking about Susan again, she would actually state many years later that during this time at the fort and being reunited with her brother, Olive seemed to be quote unquote grieving. And part of her statement about this grief um, is that it was due to Olive being married to a Mojave man and that Olive had actually given birth to two boys during her time there. Now, yeah. Now, Oatman herself would refute these claims throughout her life. But again, we're going to come back to that. I I keep saying that, but it's all going to make sense once we get to the end here. Oatman would deny that she had either been married to Mojave or that she had been sexually mistreated in any way in her time with either tribe. One such quote reads, okay, guys, this is where we get into like 1850s phrasing. So please bear with me. This is a quote. This is not me. If y'all okay? heard that, my eyes are rolling. To the... <laughs> so hard. Okay, here we go. <laughs> One such quote reads, To the honor of these savages, let it be said, they never offered the least unchaste abuse to me. Which is like a great thing to say. Yeah. The name for them, not so much. And I don't think she would have chosen that word. No, I think it was just like, Mm-hmm. So we'll get to where that quote comes from in a minute. Did it come from Fox News? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> However, it has been argued that her nickname that we were talking about, that Sponsta? Yeah, Sponsta. Sponsta may actually mean something like rotten womb, which would imply that she was sexually active at least. But uh, historians do argue about this name um, as it could have many different meanings. Mm -hmm. So these rebuttals to the claims she had been married to a Mojave man, given birth, and was was a slave rather than daughter all stem from one source, though. And would you like to know more about that source? That that source, Olive? It was put under the guise of Olive. I think I'll say it that way. Was it Fox News? It wasn't Fox News. Was it Lorenzo? It wasn't Lorenzo. Was it Susan? It wasn't Susan. Who was it? <laughs> A year after her arrival to Fort Was Yuma, it Brigham Young? <laughs> it wasn't Brigham Young. 
<laughs> a year after her arrival to Fort Yuma, a pastor named Royal B. Stratton. What's B for, bitch? <laughs> anyway, he met with Olive and soon published a book about the Oatman girls. So this is 1856. This is the year after she's returned, right? Quote unquote returned. This pastor meets with her and in that same year publishes the book, which is a very quick turnaround in my opinion. The book was titled, quote, Life Among the Indians. And it went on to sell about 30,000 copies, which made it a bestseller of the era. Not today's numbers. (laughs) Royalties of this book, though, would actually pay for Olive and Lorenzo to both attend the University of the Pacific, which is interesting that she went to get a college education, really. I mean, it's different than what we think of a college education, right? Anyway, Olive would later go on a lecture circuit to promote this book as well and would continue doing lectures throughout her lifetime about her time with the Mojaves. It sort of seems, though, that she was there as an oddity. If that makes sense. Like a novelty? Yeah. Every picture of her from this time or every illustration of her at this time really focuses on the tattoo. Which, like, yeah, to be great, like, to be fair, it's something that they wouldn't have seen a lot of. Mm-hmm. You know, widely across America, they wouldn't have seen something like that. Yeah. So it's interesting to us and it's fascinating. But she is sort of, it's almost like a sideshow, right? Yeah. It, it's, it seems like that. It feels like that when you look at some of these things. Yeah, so was it... I wonder how these lectures were like, because it was just like, yeah, like, they took me in, and we were just we just kicked it for a while, and it was really rad. Or was it just like, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, throughout the story, we've been saying things like she refutes these ideas that she was married to Mojave Man, but she was a slave and a, cap- a captive, or... But she says things about her time there that is, like, she talks about them very fondly, and especially these two women. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember that these lectures is how she's making her money after returning to white society. Mm -hmm. I think she may be saying things that people want to hear for the time, which is unfortunate. To some degree, like, people come in with a certain expectation about what they're going to hear. Yeah, and if she tells them... No, they're really friendly, and I actually married a man. We kicked it, and it was really rad. Yeah. They had great appetizers. Yeah, like, no one's going to be, like, happy about that, really, at this time. Yeah. Was it like in Young Frankenstein and during the lecture when their one guy was like, but aren't you the, the grandson of Victor von Frankenstein? Honestly, I think it's probably a lot like that. It makes me really upset. Yeah. I mean, this massacre of her entire family was famous. Like, everyone knew about it. Mm -hmm. And when she is returned to white society, everybody knows about it. Because they've been curious about where these two girls are. And there's rumors floating around that they've seen a white girl with this Native American tribe, right? Like, everyone is paying attention to the story. And in a way, it feels a little gross to us now. It kind of reminds me of about uh did y'all ever watch, like sort of like the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt you know how like yeah she, she yeah. Like, lived in a bunker and then like yeah. her sisters came out and then like now she's like acclimated to like conti- you know modern life yeah and it's really and just it's but like it's not written by Tina Fey so it's, it's not as happy yeah yeah so I, I think that's important to keep in mind at this time is that I think she's expected to say some certain things, but I think if she was treated very poorly as a slave, she wouldn't go on later in her life to meet with a Mojave leader in New York, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and talk about the old times with him. Like, I just don't think that would have happened. I mean, many illustrations and newspaper articles depict Olive's return to white society as yet another achievement over the indigenous peoples. And within this depiction of triumph, right? The barbaric stereotype attached to any Native American tribe at this time is used to its utmost. Of course. The headlines were, of course, no different. KB, would you mind reading this relatively tame headline for us? Oh, dear. Okay. Give me one second. Gotta pull it up and get my reciting voice on. Okay. So, the headline is, 
The Terrifying Ordeal of Olive Oatman. Most of the Oatman family were massacred, but Olive was taken alive for six long years she endured her cruel captivity until a friendly Indian brought about her rescue. So, <laughs> where do we want to start with that headline? There's a lot there. This is a relatively tame one. Yeah. There's, there are some other headlines that are interesting. There are some illustrations that are very problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying ordeal. The terrifying ordeal, yeah. You want to start with the, that part? I mean... Also, they got their facts wrong, and this is a contemporary headline. She wasn't with them for six years. She was with them for five. And then, like, brought about her rescue. By a, a friendly Indian, then. Yeah. I think that's problematic, too. <laughs> the whole thing's problematic! Yeah. All of it is! Yes, it is. So I think we can all agree, but in my looking at these, my interpretation of some of the headlines or quotes from Stratton's book uh, that quote Olive even, I would say most of this is straight up propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even really sure. I believe quotes attributed to Oatman from Stratton's book are really from her, including the one about treated me fine. That one that's like, what was it unchaste way or something yeah uh they never offered me the least unchaste abuse to me i i think that's probably a lie i don't think that's probably from oatman but anyway that's my opinion though i i guess i mean we're never gonna really know for sure what happened but it seems all of was taken care of well and that many deliberations about her return to white society seem to tell a tale of fam- familial affection to an extent. I I think she was probably taken in by that community and adopted, but... Yeah. Now, after her arrival at the fort, Olive did get married to a cattleman. <laughs> cattleman. <laughs> who was named John B. Fairchild. Everybody has a B initial. <laughs> Now, they were actually married in November of 1865, which is about 10 years, about 10 years after being returned to white society. Olive and John would actually live together in Sherman, Texas. (laughs) And while there, the two adopted a baby girl they named Mammy. (laughs) Okay. What kind of? I don't know. It was rumored that Olive may have died at an asylum in New York in 1877, but most reputable reports say Olive would actually die of a heart attack on March 20th, 1903, at the age of 65. Olive is buried at the West Hill Cemetery in Sherman, Texas. We could go see her grave. Yeah, we could check. Yeah. Make sure she's there. Is there anything you guys want to talk about as far as her story goes before we move into the legacy? I feel like it's a lot to kind of take in. It is a lot. And I think it's important to remember that there's sort of a vested interest in making making people, particularly indigenous people, look as bad as possible in order for, I guess, like, white society, I'll call it, I guess, to get what they want, which was part of that whole BFS destiny thing yeah and i think it's important to validate my whiteness yeah it's that and it's also not my whiteness but like their whiteness (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's i think it's also active propaganda that justify the trail of tears yeah Mm -hmm. because we have to remember this time period is in between it's right after Trail of Tears in 1831. And right before the Civil War. Right before the Civil War and right before Wounded Knee Massacre in the 1890s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a... So, I mean, we're we're in this time period of, of American history where everyone who is non-white and non-assimilating is bad. They're seen as a problem. Yeah, which I... I think you could say something about today as well, but we'll leave that there. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, 
freaking bothers me i know yeah which like of course i think now we can look back and be like yeah that's problematic yeah um but i think it's good to also be aware of our own history and how that looks of course yeah okay yeah you i'm glad we're talking about it because it's like um if we don't learn about it it's going to repeat itself yeah all right did i miss um yeah yeah another thing i think is interesting is that olive doesn't seem to have much of a part in telling her own history yeah and i i think i think that's why i'm interested in this is because we kind of have anecdotal references to her speaking fondly of her time but also these quotes from stratton's book that kind of contradict yeah. each other. Yeah. And, you know, we know that Stratton met with Olive. But beyond that, it was her just going on a book tour with him, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To be like, look at this woman who survived the quote-unquote savages. And I think she had to kind of reframe her own narrative to survive in white society. Yeah. I don't know how to phrase my thought, but um, what if, do you think that she would have, that she tried to come out with like a counter statement to, to the book or something? Because maybe she did and then they were just like, oh, but. I don't know. No, I get you what know, you're saying. You know I get what you're saying. And, and it's like, like mansplaining it, but like, oh, you don't know anything. You know what I mean? Right. No, I get what you're saying. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, but it's something we'll unfortunately never know. Yeah. Because most of Olive's own words are lost to us. Yeah. Because like what you were saying, like, she never really, like, I, there's not, like, I do there, we don't have any, like, any hardcore, like, or any hard facts, like, quotes of her you know saying mm-hmm. that i was a slave but it was just all it all comes from stratton's book that yeah. she was a slave and captain and i really don't trust that source i i don't because, either because yeah. maybe when he talked to her he was just he was tra- he was just getting the answer that he wanted i think he met with her to make it look kosher and just ghost written ghost wrote he was like a I, he was a ghostwriter and uh, put in his own two cents about what he thought, which unfortunately happens. You know, I would be very interested. Was she mm-hmm. was she literate? See, that's something I don't know. I would assume maybe not, but I well, but she went to, she went to university. the university, that college. Yeah, but she could have not been. Yeah, up until that time, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that I was definitely interested in trying to find out. I, I couldn't find anything, mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. um, saying one way or another. If she was, I'd be very interested to read her own letters, like even between her and Susan. Mm-hmm. If she had any kind of a diary later in life, I'd like to read that. Because I, I just, I think people took her own story and framed it how they wanted which the, this like taking her own story like from her I think is interesting when you look at pictures of her because she seems very tight-lipped yeah do you know what I mean um which like it's kind of like this is a very good visual representation of your own history mm-hmm. I mean she is having to go through life and white society being marked with blue ink tribal tattoos on her face yeah I think that would very much change how anyone interacted with her. Yeah. I think she probably would have been very tired of being stared at. Definitely. When you go from that being the norm where you were living mm-hmm. to, like you said, being constantly stared at. Yeah. I feel like that would be a very jarring experience. Yeah. And uncomfortable one, too. Yeah. I mean, she couldn't walk anywhere without people staring, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody would know who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be very, a very uncomfortable life. And I can see maybe why she moved to Sherman, Texas. 
Still in the middle of fucking nowhere. Well, let's go ahead and talk about her legacy then. As far as her legacy goes, there does seem to be a renewed interest in her life starting up. In the AMC show, Hell on Wheels, there is a character that is very loosely, very, very loosely based on Olive. Mm -hmm. The character shares only a few similarities, such as the distinctive blue chin tattoo. She was raised as a Mormon and was captured by Native Americans. Now, that is the only similarities between them. Yeah, um, it's reminding me of a play, it's called Abundance. I forgot who it's written by, but I remember when I was in college, we did scenes from it. And it's like, these two couples settling, um, and the woman from one of the couples was, she ran off and she was kidnapped by Native Americans, and she had the chin tattoo, Mm. Something like that. Is it by? It is by... Beth Henley. Beth Henley. What? Go me! (laughs) Didn't she also do Crimes of the Heart? Yes. Yes? She has very... Those are two very different plays. Yes, Crimes of the Heart. Sounds of it. (laughs) So that's interesting that you bring that up because I think... This, like, renewed interest seems to take place mainly on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I found two other kind of indie playwrights, I would say, um, who have written a play about Olive and her life. Kind of what we know about what happened. So I think it's interesting that most of this renewed interest seems to be taking place on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was just reading the summary of Abundance, but yeah, one of the characters was taken by. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a good show. I mean, it's it it's not for faint of heart. I mean, it's like if there's some yeah yeah. I mean, Beth Hunley, I would say, is not for the faint of heart. No, you have to. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I remember when it was like in acting one. Mm-hmm. In, you know, yeah. Oh. There's so many scenes from Beth Henley in acting one. <laughs> it's just like, it's very shocking. And yeah. you just, it'll get you, it'll, yeah, you're going to get out of your comfort zone. I managed to avoid doing Beth Henley scenes, but I got to do a scene from Doubt instead. Not any less jarring. No. <laughs> anyway, as far as recommendations, I don't think I would recommend Hell on Wheels as a, as a, follow-up of Olive's life. Yeah. However, I would highly recommend checking out the book The Blue Tattoo, The Life of Olive Oatman, written by Margot Mifflin, mm-hmm. which is, like, the best author name. Yeah, that's Margot okay. Mifflin. Oh. It's published by the University of Nebraska Press for their Women in the West series. Mm-hmm. It also features about 30 photographs or illustrations as well. So I think it's a really great resource, and it's much more detailed if you're interested in finding more about Olive's life. And for a script, read Abundance by Beth read Henley. Read Abundance by Beth Henley. Um, or just Google um, Olive Oatman plays. There's a couple of yeah. less known, less well-known playwrights who have written a couple of plays about her that look interesting. So that's my Olive Oatman episode, you guys. <laughs> Woo, do you have anything else you guys want to add? One thing I've been thinking about... Is like we also have just in movies and things like that sort of films that are about this white western man who somehow he you know is with a a, a tribe somewhere or you've got things like um oh what is that Tom Cruise movie where he becomes a samurai basically the last samurai Yes, The Last Samurai. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it'll be like these white Western men who somehow, you know. Isn't there a John Wayne movie like that where he's just. Probably, yeah. Hello, Pilgrim. I'm wondering what the difference in those kinds of movies and Olive's story, the way we think about it, is because it just seems different to me. Yeah. It's a very similar situation. Right. Because it feels like when the in the 
in the movies and stuff you're talking about, it's just like, I was in the West and I came upon the... Yeah. You know? And, and I learned and, to live with and them. And I've learned to live with them. I'm trying yeah. to talk like uh, like John Wayne. Um, it's going really well. Thank you. <laughs> Remember that one John Wayne movie tried to be Genghis Khan? Whoever made that casting choice. Did y'all hear the story about the studio head who wanted Julia Roberts to play Harriet Tubman years ago? Huh? What? Yeah. This has been all over Twitter, you guys. With the new hair. Yeah, with the new Harriet movie out, which I think we should go see and do an episode on Harriet Tubman. That'd be awesome. Um, they came, somebody who was part of, like, the studio back in the day, when the script was first written, was in, like, the 80s, um, brought it to a studio head, and they're like, it's a really great film. I think we should get Julia Roberts to play Harriet. And Absolutely the, not. And the one black guy at the time in this meeting was like, but sir, she was black. And this studio head was like, but it was so long ago, nobody's going to know the difference. What? I beg to differ. <laughs> yeah. So this it's been a whole thing about this Harriet movie. Oh my god. But it finally got made. It looks like it's got a phenomenal lead actress. Yeah. Um, I cannot wait to go see this film. It'll be really good. I'm so excited. But yeah, Julia Roberts. No. <laughs> That's like oh getting Scarlett goodness. Johansson to play a Japanese character. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm so bitter. <laughs> oh. But anyway. But no, I, I get what you're saying. I think that's it's really interesting because it seems to be that like those kind of westerns are like, oh, I've learned to live with them and I learned something from I've them. I've learned their ways. I've learned their ways and I leave. Yeah. Where yeah. this And then they to... come to rescue me at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. And this seems to be more like I was taken in because I was alone. Yeah. And they taught me and I yeah. lived with them and I was requested to return. Yeah. Yeah. And I was taken from them. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I I guys, you guys, can we do a movie about Olive? Can we be in it? Sure, I don't know who you you'd play, but sure. I'll probably be one of the people that died. <laughs> <laughs> you can be one of the Mormons. <laughs> I don't want to be a fucking Mormon. Not that we don't like Mormon listeners if we have Mormon listeners. We do have a large listenership in Salt Lake City, I've just realized. What? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. But anyway. So yeah, anything else we want to talk about? It's the beginning of the holiday season. It is. So there's that. Yep. Well, I think that's probably <laughs> it. Okay. I feel like this is a this story is like a lot to take in and a lot to kind of dig through and process. Yeah. And some of it I'm still unsure of being like, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely recommend that book. Again, it's called The Blue Tattoo, The Life of Olive Oatman. <clears throat> and it's written by Margot Mifflin. So yeah, thank you guys for listening. Who's going to do our outro? Sally, fourth week in a row. Can you nail it? Let's see what happens. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this, week ep- this week's episode. Uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, a bunch of other platforms. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Legendary Lasses. You can find us on our website, which is legendarylasses.wordpress.com, where we post notes. We're still a little late on that because... Yeah, and, or you can also email us at legendarylasses at gmail.com. And that's where you can, uh, you know, send, send in recommendations for episodes or just shoot the shit. Also, weigh in on our food debates. You know, pie versus cake, pancake versus waffles. I've got a new one. Uh, pie versus cake. Or we, we, know we, had, we, we know we had pie versus cake. Obviously, pie won. Pie versus, no. pie versus cobbler. 
I don't think I've ever oh. had a cobbler, so I don't know if I can. Those are basically the same thing. Shut up. You don't know. <laughs> uh, you never have it's hot fruit and bread. Exactly. <laughs> Those are the same thing. Shut up. Anyways. <laughs> Legendarylasses at gmail.com. I forgot to mention if um, on any of our platforms, if there's a rating system like for Apple Podcasts, please rate us, leave a review. Um, we can all like all feedback is um, accepted. We you know we uh, we're still trying to. I had a dream that we got like ten reviews, and they were all like. This podcast sucks. One Aww. one red. It'd be better to just stop now. <laughs> and I, was, I woke up crying. Because I'm a sensitive girl. Well, I'm, a, I'm a sensitive We girl. had no idea, actually. No? But I, any feedback is, yes. is, is, is we're grateful for. Yes. Because um, yes, we're still trying to make improvements and all of that stuff. If you like our podcast and you feel compelled to, if you want to donate money to us, if you want, uh, go to anchor.fm slash legendary lasses and click support this podcast. Um, all of that money goes to getting better equipment and uh, other supplies like uh, research materials, like books, and that'll help us give y'all better content and yeah, get y'all better content, have better sound quality, better equipment, all that fun stuff. I'm leaving anything up, guys. I think you got it all. Yeah. All right. Well, go out, make waves, change history, stay legendary, and kick some ass. What's our tagline for this one? What did we learn from all? What? Yeah. What did we learn from this? Um. I was gonna say reframe your own narrative but we've already said that a lot yeah anyway take take chances take, take chances <laughs> <laughs> and prioritize your mental health going into the holidays you guys oof, that's a big one yeah stay safe out there yeah and appreciate the customer people that work in customer service god please and retail oh yeah and you're yeah just be it's nice not to their them. fault your coupon doesn't work. Yeah. I'm... Or they're out of stock of something. Yeah. You, got, you just got to be real. Because, like, yesterday, like, I was trying to find something online, and it was, like, it wasn't in stock. And so I emailed them, and I was like, hey, this is out of stock. I'm actually wondering, what, like, if there's going to be a restock. And I was like, they're super nice. And I was like, thank you. And we came from customer service. If you're like, nice, we're more likely to help you. Exactly. And, like, I... Or go above and beyond to see what we can do to fix it. Exactly. And like coming from customer service, I can empathize with my, you know, my, my, you know, the retail workers and, uh, and people, but also I'm very like picky on it. Like, I'm just like, you can't be a little more happy. Can't you say, Hey, how's it going? Like, Yeah. yeah, I get what you mean. If I, it's funny now, if I call like a customer service line, and somebody sounds really grumpy on the phone. I'm like, how are you doing today? And like, I, which probably annoys them further because I'm taking up their time. Yeah. But it's just like, it's okay, dude. Just like breathe. You're good. I'm not going to yeah. yell at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I try to do that. Yeah. Hey, Sansa, how are you doing today? Yeah. I know it's crazy right now. It's the holidays. Yeah. And then, or when someone's like, okay, just hang down, hang tight. You know, like, um, I'm going to be really quick and put you on hold. It's like, you take your time. Yeah. I've worked, in, I've worked in the call center. You just do, <laughs> do what you need to do. Take it easy. And then usually they're just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I called the Torrid customer service last year around Black Friday. Uh-huh. And their systems were like so slow because they were getting so many calls. Mm-hmm. And this lady on the phone with me, she was so sweet. She was like, I'm so sorry. My computer is still trying to load up your order. I'm so sorry. And it took like, it took like 10 minutes for them to pull up the order. Yeah. I was like, girl, don't even worry about it. I work in ticketing and my software is very slow today as well. Like you take your time. Tell me about your day. <laughs> and like, we just had a conversation for like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, just like, take it easy. You're fine. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, as we approach the holiday season and it's going to get crazier and crazier, just have some patience with them. Just be jolly and merry. Yeah, but don't be obnoxious about it. 
I was gonna make a word. Just word. be kind. Oh. Be jolly and merry. <laughs> I love Pippin. I love Pippin too. Did I tell you that I got to see Billy Boyd, who played Pippin? I got to see him at the Globe on stage in Macbeth, and he played Banquo. Okay, that's the end of our episode! <laughs> Listen, I was talking to my sister about why doesn't he have a singing career? A girl. God, he sang a song in Macbeth, and I swear to God I heard an angel choir come from his mouth i love him so much he is the cutest little short stout scottish man i've ever seen in my entire life i love him and he had a magnificent majestic beard and it was very great to see in person okay well i think that's the end of our episode (laughs) Bye. bye bye